0: Welcome to Fuel, the official podcast of Friends Southwest, a family of churches whose mission is fueling a Spirit-led movement where Jesus changes people who change the world. It's our hope in these monthly podcasts to bring you helpful information, engage meaningful conversations, and provide moments of inspiration to fuel you as you follow Jesus and care for His Church. I'm Heidi Mattson. And before I introduce our guest to you today, I want to give you a couple of thoughts upfront about this podcast. I found this podcast to be very encouraging, uh, very inspiring, but also challenging. Our guest challenges some of the ways that we've always thought about communicating the message of Jesus. And I really want to encourage you to listen to the whole podcast. Even if there are things that you are not sure that you agree with or can't quite get your head around, I want you to hang in there because I do think these are the right questions for us to be asking, the right things for us to be wrestling with. And when you get to the end of the broadcast, there are going to be some really practical, helpful, simple things we can all do but also some really great pearls about how we can connect uh, with each other as younger and older leaders, as people who have positions of influence and people who don't but have gifts that the kingdom needs and we need to draw them in. So our guest today is Brady Shearer, and he is the founder and president of Pro Church Tools an organization whose mission is to help churches navigate the seismic shifts that are happening in the area of communications today. Brady, welcome and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for the kind introduction, Heidi. It's great to be here.
0: We are super glad to have you. I wonder if you could just tell, uh, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with Pro Church Tools, but some may not. So I wonder if you could just tell us initially here a little bit about your mission, what it is you all seek to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. So Pro Church Tools is about, about seven years old as a company. And everything that we do is about seizing the 167 hours beyond your Sunday service. So basically to unpack that a bit, every week has 168 hours. Let's say church service is just about one hour. What's amazing about the time that we live in right now is that we can reach people with the hope of Jesus in the 167 hours beyond Sunday in, in ways that we never could have in decades, centuries, and generations past. And in the past, we have to demand and ask people to come to us but now we can go to them in ways that are more affordable, more efficient and faster than ever before. And so, you know, I'm 27 years old, so I'm a young person that that grew up in this world of digital. It feels very native and familiar to me. And, and everything that we do is about helping churches learn to harness these digital tools that are available to us to help more people hear about Jesus.
0: That is awesome. You're you're tagging a portion of the week that um, probably until the last five years, no one gave that much consideration to because we were a little bit, um, maybe stuck isn't the right word, but we were convinced of our Sunday, Wednesday, and occasional Bible study times to meet. And um, you're so right that with the ubiquitous nature of communications today, people are being influenced and connecting in all different kinds of manners. And if we don't jump into that, we're really going to miss something, aren't we?
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think that it can feel a little intimidating at first to, to jump into these. You know, the average Protestant lead pastor in America is 54 years old. And so considering that age, you've got to recognize that most people leading churches didn't grow up in this digital landscape. And so it can feel unfamiliar. It can feel impossible sometimes, I know, uh, but what's amazing about these platforms is that they are more affordable and more wide-reaching than anything else that we've had in in, in human history. And, and that makes me really optimistic for the future. One of the things that we say a lot, Heidi, is that we're living through the biggest communication shift in 500 years, And the last communication shift that was as seismic as what we're seeing right now was the printing press. And what's cool Mm. about the printing press is that it was the catalyst for the Protestant Reformation and also leading to the Bible still to this day being the most widely distributed and best-selling book of all time. And I say that to say that Christians and followers of Jesus and those that led the church in centuries past have been able to harness amazing and colossal communication shifts to help more people hear about Jesus. And so I'm optimistic that the current crop of church leaders and those that are coming up right now can do the same thing. We've done, we've done it before. Let's do it again.
0: Amen. That sounds great. I'm ready. You should just keep preaching.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, if you get me Yeah, I mean look, you're gonna get me start talking and that's definitely what will happen for sure. So
0: <laughs> Well, that's good because you're the expert in this area. I'm just trying to facilitate the conversation. So it is super important. I really appreciate that you reference something in our history that shows us we really can do this. We've done it before and look what an incredible impact and difference it made because what I hear you saying is we're there again.
1: Well, look, and neither, neither of us were alive like 500, sorry to cut you off, Heidi, but um, n- neither of us were alive, you know, 500 years ago. But from my understanding of history around that time of the printing press, there were plenty of detractors, even and maybe especially within the church that said, look, we've done things a certain way up until this point, And it's been fine. Why do we need to change? Why do we need to make adjustments that are uncomfortable, that are intimidating, that aren't guaranteed to work when what we've been doing at least is familiar and, and, mm-hmm. and so why why make the change? Why go through that that pain and that discomfort? And this is what happens time change comes around. and it's easy for us to look internally at our churches and think we're we're just so out of touch. we're just so antiquated, but this is every industry. I mean,. Mm-hmm. There was a time when Netflix approached Blockbuster and said, hey, would you be open to acquiring us? Because we don't know how much longer we're going to be around. And of course, we know how that story has ended. Blockbuster is no longer in business. And Netflix is one of the largest media companies in human history. And and what happened with public transportation? We see ride sharing versus taxis. Mm -hmm. We're seeing music streaming versus you know record labels that this is happening in every single industry and churches aren't immune to it but we're also not alone in it and i think that what's amazing about the way churches set up is that we actually have a lot of distinct advantages that other industries don't uh, for instance the simple fact that church is set up to be a weekly gathering where we're creating brand new content whether that be you know the worship the message the announcements like if you are a dentist or a real estate agent or you know a lawyer a legal professional if you are thinking of making the shift to do more in the digital world because you recognize it's necessary for you You have to do what you do professionally, uh, that being cleaning people's teeth, you know, uh, facilitating legal services. And you also have to create content on top of that. But the infrastructure of of church is so that we do that every single week already. And we can already just kind of restructure that content, which is uh, really encouraging.
0: It's a really good point you make, Brady, that uh, this is not just something the church has to consider, but it's happening in industries all over Um, the world. And yet I am also so aware, right, that our mission is so much more important than anything else. And so we have to catch up. We have to jump on. We have to be willing to be agile and flexible. Um, What do you think it is that we're afraid of?
1: I think all humans are resistant to change because anything that requires change also demands taking a leap into something that's unfamiliar. And I think we all are predisposed to believe that that which is unfamiliar is probably also uncomfortable and maybe even dangerous. Mm-hmm. And we much rather stay in a comfortable position than make a change that is uncomfortable, unfamiliar, maybe painful, even if it could lead to what we want. And, and that's a universal principle amongst sure. all humans in every area of life. And I think it only gets exacerbated when you then exponentially multiply it on a corporate or organizational level within a church where maybe there's a board, there's multiple people on staff, and then there's, of course, the congregation of, you know, 25, 50, 100, hundreds, thousands. And Mm -hmm. and so this is where leadership becomes so important and having buy-in from the senior leadership, if this is something that's not being primarily driven by the lead pastor, um, because change is difficult and, and sometimes it takes a big leap and it requires us to step out into the unknown The consequences of not doing that, though, I don't think that we can keep doing what we're doing and and remain relevant. I think that it's very clear the church attendance trends across the board in North America are trending downwards. Six out of every 10 millennials that was once in church is no longer, and only two in 10 millennials consider church attendance important. Mm. The thing to note there is that Young people aren't turning their back on faith or on Jesus. They just don't see church attendance as important as it once was. And that can seem scary because we've always done it this one way, but Mm -hmm. this is where Seize the 167 comes into place. It's not that people are resistant to the message of Jesus necessarily. It's that they're just not that in love with the idea of the one-hour sit-through consumer morning Sunday experience and and that just means that we have more ability and also I would say more obligation to begin experimenting in other avenues of taking our mission and facilitating it in different ways. Because at the end of the day, with the thousands of churches that I've worked with, Almost every single church's mission statement can be summed up in three simple phrases. Love God, love people, and make disciples. It's the greatest Mm -hmm. commandments and the great commission wrapped up. We might say it differently, but Mm -hmm. that's what we're all trying to accomplish. And for, let's say, a century or or so, maybe longer, we've considered the best way to accomplish that mission is through a one-hour in-person gathering. Mm -hmm. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not suggesting that an in-person gathering is no longer important. Community, in-person, face-to-face is always going to be a core component of the Christian experience and, and being the body of Christ. All I'm suggesting is that we've perhaps overemphasized the one hour, four songs, announcements, and a message, and that there are so many other ways that we can accomplish that same message. And I think one of the best starting points for this, to to speak practically, is to ask yourself and to begin asking your church the question, how would we accomplish our mission if our Sunday service did not exist? I think if companies like Blockbuster had asked themselves, how would we deliver movies if our in-person retail experience didn't exist, or Toys R Us, how would we sell toys if our retail spaces didn't exist? If those questions have been able to be answered by those two corporations, maybe they wouldn't be uh, you know, as close to extinction or past extinction as they are now. And, and these are helpful questions to begin asking, because what I see most churches do is that they try to take what they're doing in Sunday, and then they use digital to just promote coming to Sunday. So mm-hmm. digital through email, through social, through their website, everything is come check us out on Sunday and then we'll Mm -hmm. be able to help you. Oh, you have questions about faith and God and the existential matters of the human experience. We'd love to help you, but only on Sunday morning. And it's like, that's not the way these mediums are meant to be used. And there are so many more powerful and impactful ways that they can be used. And it all begins with that simple question. What would we post online? What would we do? How would we accomplish our mission if our Sunday service didn't exist? That can get you in the right state of mind to begin approaching these questions with hopefully a new set of eyes.
0: And then my conjecture is going to be, if we're willing and flexible enough to ask that question it's not actually going to take away from what we do on Sunday morning. It will actually make us better even then.
1: Well, and also I think you you really have to make sure that everyone's on the same page about this. What What's sacred to our church? Is it our Sunday morning experience or is it accomplishing our mission? I think churches easily get those two mixed up because they've been one in the same for so long. So this isn't an indictment upon churches in any way. It's simply a statement, my perspective, of of churches intertwining two things that are meant to be separate. If the mission of the church is to help people love God, love others, make disciples, and we're all on board with that, we're all wanting to go to the same destination. Well, now we can have an open open conversation about the best possible routes. How do we Mm -hmm. get to that destination? And, and that's where the allocation of resources comes in as well. The reason that we talk about seizing the 167 is that the way I've seen it in most churches in my experience is that there's a, an over-indexing of resources, whether it be time, money, volunteers to this one-hour Sunday experience, and those other 167 hours are just given the scraps. And I think mm-hmm. it's much better to allocate the resources a little bit more uniformly or a little bit more in a balanced way. Those 167 hours have so much potential to accomplish your mission. You don't need people to come to you, especially as a starting point. You know, when it comes to making a first impression, when it comes to getting people connected to your church, when it comes to getting people aware of your church, the starting points. You know, you mentioned earlier, and I fully agreed that we have the the greatest story of all time, but the prerequisite to anything that your church does when it comes to sharing your message with the world, is attention. I like to say that attention is the most valuable commodity that your church can possess, because it, it really doesn't matter if you have the greatest story of all time, like we do, or a, a discounted oil change, let's say, because if you don't have someone's attention, it doesn't matter what you're saying, they can't hear you. And so if church attendance is on the decline, if we're seeing less people come to us, we have to turn around and say, okay, I'm willing to go to them And the easiest thing is, well, where are they right now? Go to where the attention already is. I like to say it this way, attention is the most valuable commodity your church can possess, because it doesn't really matter if if you're our church and we have the greatest story of all time, or you're peddling, let's say, a discounted oil change, because if you don't first have someone's attention, the message is secondary. And, And so this comes down to the simple part of where digital really comes into play, We can keep demanding people come to us, but if church attendance is on a decline universally just because of cultural forces, we're probably gonna be playing a a losing game, fighting against the tide, when it's much easier to go with the current and go where the attention already is. Digitals likely, and probably never should, replace the in-person, real community you know, the fact like when something tragic happens, the, the church is there for you. When you're in a difficult time, you've got real friendships and real relationships. You know, digital is not meant to replace that. But the top part, the, the the communication of the message, the awareness, the first impression, that's where digital can be so, so helpful when it comes to making people aware of your church, getting them connected, inviting them, and, and really helping them understand the message of Jesus, even completely separate from Sunday morning.
0: Hmm. Those are super challenging thoughts. I think you're helping us to think in a new way that we never have before. And I'm imagining that some of our listeners feel a little anxious inside, even as they're listening to it, probably for a few reasons. One, I have no idea how to do that. Two, that feels like you're messing with something that feels very important to me. And Three, what do we risk? Because in a seismic shift, all the pieces haven't fallen yet, right? So I wonder if we could speak to that a little bit and maybe um, reiterate a couple of things. I think I heard you say um, digital communications, um, the way we connect over Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and so many other platforms, Um, that should never replace our face-to-face, visceral, skin-to-skin kind of connection in the body of Christ, right?
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's just super important to speak to people's fear, because if we don't say that loud and clear over and over, that's going to be the fear that gets triggered, and I want them to hear the other things that you're saying. So us being together as a people physically should never be replaced. But the point is, um, if we don't pay attention to what's happening, particularly with younger cultures, we will then lose the ability to give them that very most important message that causes our hearts to beat every day. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I've said this already and I'll say it again change is difficult. When I say (laughs) we're living through the biggest communication shift in 500 years, that means that things are tough and this is unprecedented and it's uncomfortable. There's a reason why an upstart company like Uber or Lyft was able to come in and completely upend the public transportation industry that had been around for 50 some odd years or whatever it was, even though they didn't have like, like there was not even legislation that was made in most major cities, like, what do we do with Uber? Like, what about insurance? Mm-hmm. Is this allowed? Like, the city that I went to Bible College in, there were riots in the public square from taxi drivers. Are like, you need to stop this. And, yeah. and the city's like, I mean, this is capitalism, kind of like things are. Uh, yeah, we we want people to be safe, but yeah, technology has made things available that we don't even have laws to protect or actually manage yet. And and similarly. This is difficult and I don't, I, I'm 27. So it's it's my generation that is not in love with, with church attendance, that isn't in love with the way things have been done. But there's also not much that can be done about it. it it's the way that it is. And we can either respond to it or we can not respond to it.
0: <laughs> Brady, so much of this is making sense. And like I said, it is, it is challenging because it's a whole new way of thinking. And I wonder if one of the fears that um, the church, we in the church have, is that differently than, you know, Uber versus taxi and Netflix and Blockbuster is there's a way in which as the church, we almost feel the need to be countercultural, right? Like we want to make sure that we don't abdicate to the culture because there are so many things about the culture that pull people away from God but we have to also be like the men of Ishkar in the book of Chronicles who are students of the times in which they live and adapt enough that the message can stay primary, right? Can you speak to that fear a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think I I appreciate that that concern to an extent. I think that it's it's applied pretty inconsistently, at least in my perspective. So for instance, let's assume that Social media, the same way that the television, radio, a pen and paper is a neutral medium, because that's the perspective that I'm coming from. You know, we could look at home ownership, the fact that we live in a house, and say, you know what, it's good in a lot of ways, but it can also foster an unhealthy, um, you know, consumerism mindset. The fact that the home that you and I live in is bigger, more expensive than 99.9% of homes in the history of human existence. Or we could look at our automobiles that we all drive and say, you know what, we should be countercultural and we should walk everywhere. But we don't apply that in that way. So why would we apply it in communication contexts? When I think of being different from culture, I think of the words of Jesus, um, the words of scripture that you'll be known by your love.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: When I think of counterculture, I think of laying down my life for my friends selflessly, something that I'm not very good at, especially at age 27, and something that I'm working at so hard. I think about being a father that that sacrifices for both his, his, his daughter and his wife and his family because that's what I don't see happening in culture. Countercultural mm-hmm. for me is an abstinence from... It's from Twitter, Instagram, automobiles and homes. To me, it's redemptive love that transforms. And I think that's a message that has so much more more power and transcendence than simple abstinence from any movie above a, a certain, you know, letter grade or a song with curse words or an Instagram platform.
0: Absolutely. Beautifully said. So let's say a church is listening to us right now and they're saying, Okay, Brady. Okay, I'm with you. I'm willing to learn to think differently. I'm willing to get better at this. How do I start? What what do I what do I need to do?
1: Yeah, I love that question because I don't, I don't want to just you know pontificate with philosophy and, and talk about how hey look things are changing. You better get on board, and <laughs> then people feel kind of like, well, how? but how? Uh, let's talk about the most important marketing marketing and outreach tool that every church has, and that's their website. You know, whether you're a church of twenty five. 250 or 2,500, your church's website is almost always gonna be where your first impression is being made. Uh, There's a stat that was sourced by Forbes that says 97% of people search for local organizations online. Meaning when someone's searching for a local hamburger joint or a local church, they're jumping onto Google first. So Mm. if you don't have a website, if you don't have a website that makes a great first impression, you are invisible essentially to most Mm. people. Um, And and so that's the first place to start. There are so many great website platforms that are extremely affordable that will allow you to build a stunning website that communicates to uh, first-time visitors. But... When it comes to building your website, there are some really important things that you need to be aware of. We did a case study. We looked at more than a 1,000 church websites from around the world. Every, uh, I think there's like more than 25 different countries represented, um, 1,008 total churches. And we found that more than 60% of the churches that we looked at didn't have readily available new visitor information on their homepage. So mm. you would land on a church's website and there would be information about their current series, there'd be information about the upcoming women's brunch, and there'd be information about, you know, a lot of things, but very obviously lacking was information for a potential new visitor. So like So it
0: was it was an invitation to a family event.
1: I mean just imagine a new visitor walks into your church on a Sunday morning.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: instead of being greeted or welcomed like no one acknowledges them at all and they're right. like treated as if they weren't there we would consider that like we would think oh my gosh like we only get so many new visitors at our church what a wasted opportunity and yet the majority 62% of church websites that we looked at mm-hmm. did the same thing they didn't consider the outsider they didn't consider the person that wanted to become part of the family it was all about internal affairs internal affairs only
0: okay so Brady along with that we need to really have in a primary spot on our website, information for someone who's just checking out a church online, new visitor information. What other things do we need to make sure have sort of preeminence on our website? Help us walk us through, like, these are the four main things that you really ought to have on your website.
1: Yeah. What's amazing about website design, Heidi, is that you can just make a couple of small changes and they can have huge, huge beneficial, uh, in, uh, benefits and implications in that respect. So, so one is having photos of real people at your church. I'll reference that same case study that we did, you know, more than a thousand church websites. We found that one in three had stock photos of people's faces. So faces on their church website, but people that have never and will never attend their church. So like I used a hamburger analogy earlier. Like imagine if you went to a hamburger restaurant in your city because you had visited them online and you'd seen this beautiful picture of a hamburger and then you sit down and they hand you this burger and you're like, this this, this doesn't look anything like your website. And they said, oh yeah, that wasn't our burger. That was just a picture. And you'd be like, you would feel so like betrayed and upset. Right. But we do that with Baby our church. Yeah, exactly. We say, This is our church. Look at how ethnically diverse we are. And then we show up and everybody's white. You know, like (laughs) using stock photos of people on your website, faces of people. You want to put a stock photo of a lake or a Bible, go for it, but not of a person's face. Mm -hmm. It's disingenuous, it's deceptive, and it's one surefire way to ruin a first impression. Mm -hmm. And so, what's amazing about The mobile devices that we're walking around with in our pockets, and I did another case study on this, is that it is so easy to capture beautiful photos with no skills and no gear. So I went into a church that I had never been to before with only my iPhone 7 Plus. So it's like three iPhones behind at this point. I'm not a photographer. I took out my phone. I set it on portrait mode so that it (laughs) blurred out the background. Mm-hmm. And I spent an hour at this church. I took a bunch of photos. I just asked people. I said, "Hey, can can I have uh, take a photo of you? It's for your church's website. Here, make sure you sign this release form so we can use it." And some people said yes. Most people said yes. A couple said no. I was like, "Great, fine. Go on to the next person." And in an hour, I had a bunch of photos. I then created a demo website, and I you know it took a couple of hours, and I replaced all the photos of this church's website that you know weren't photos of them, weren't photos of their church. And now, when someone lands on their website. They're going to actually see, oh, that's what this church looks like. This is what the community looks like. Because that's Mm -hmm. the thing about websites. What you want to do is is you want to demonstrate what you are in a digital way. It's really Mm -hmm. easy if you're selling hamburgers. Take a picture of the hamburger. But but how does does that translate to church, right? We're talking about existential matters of the heart, hope, community, Mm -hmm. community, purpose, eternity. Well, it all is shown in you know the image of God. That's, that's the smiling faces of the people that attend your church. It's a great way to make a first impression. You can do it for free with your phone. And uh, we have a full case study on our website that kind of shows like me going into that church and taking the photos and walks you through step by step actually how to do it.
0: Cool. So first simple thing is to make sure that we have stuff for guests for someone who's brand new to us. Second simple thing is have faces of our own people to really give an accurate picture of who we are. Third simple thing we can do.
1: We looked at a thousand websites and we found 76% of them lacked a primary focal point. So a primary focal point for a website is when you land on the site, where does your eye go first? And This may not seem that important, but according to a study from Google, website designs with low visual complexity were found to be most appealing to users. And what's interesting is, you know, there's that old adage, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, when it comes to website designs, we do not follow that advice because (laughs) another study, this one was from uh, Northumbria University, uh, it showed that the feel of a website is the main driver of first impressions. So if your website is cluttered, if your website feels sloppy, that's going to immediately create a bad experience for your web visitor and the thing about first impressions is that they take about 0.04 seconds to actually happen yeah. and it's all these subconscious things it's not the words that you write it's just the overall structure and so this is why responsive design so that the 50 plus percent of people that are visiting your website on their phone have a good experience is important and this is why it's okay your website doesn't have to be a crazy original it doesn't have to be groundbreaking it just needs to follow the basic basic expectations of web design and web user experience. But another big thing that you can do when it comes to your primary focal point is just have a big headline at the very top of your page, the first thing that people see, and write this headline to the visitor that's landing on your site. Don't talk about yourself as a church. Instead, talk about why your church matters to that new visitor. So here are a couple actual examples from some of my favorite uh church websites. Um here's a bad example to start with. So <laughs> I'm not going to say the name of this church, so it'll just be like blank is a church that believes in Jesus and lives to demonstrate his love to all people. Now, that's a fair and accurate statement of that church, at least I assume it is. But if I'm a visitor, that church is talking all about themselves. Yeah. Not really talking about me. Where do I fit in? Like I thought mm-hmm. this was a community, a family. So here are some good examples that I love. Uh, good news is a church where anyone can be transformed by the story of Jesus. So now, oh, I'm being transformed. Okay, I'm being welcomed into it. Another one, a safe place to explore your faith. So you hmm. land on this and immediately this church is saying, hey, you know what? We're a place where no matter where you are in your faith journey, you know, you'll find home here. Um, another one, connect to everything God has for your life. That church is talking directly to me. They're not talking about themselves at all. They're saying, hey, we want you to connect to God in every area of your life, and we're here to facilitate that. Hmm. Another one, no one stands alone. You know, this one's talking about community. It's speaking to the togetherness and the family that that church has to offer, uh, friendship and real relationship. So that's one thing that's really easy to fix. Like another one that I love, this is a small church that really inspired me. Um, We're saving a seat for you. So now you feel like, man, man, this church is expecting me. When I come in, I'm going to be invited. Uh, this is another one I love, man. I was, there's so many, like, um, so many great options. I just want to make sure I find this one. It's one of my favorites. Uh, this one is, uh, you may walk in. Um, you know, uh, oh, I can't find it here. I have to go off memory, but it's basically like uh, you may come in. Uh, Oh, foreign isn't the wrong word. But, anyways, like you'll leave his family. Like a
0: stranger, yeah. but you'll oh, leave. Oh, that's great.
1: I think it is stranger. Yeah. You'll come in a stranger, you'll leave his family. You know, these are all speaking to the potential visitor. And what's great about this specific change on your website is that it's incredibly easy to make. You're just mm-hmm. changing the text that's already there.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Those are super helpful and should be relatively easy to make, like you said. So, from Brady's perspective and everything you're saying, I think it would be fair to say you would encourage a church to reallocate some funds from ways that they've been doing things if their website has been super low priority to say this should really be one of your, one of your high priorities in terms of guests and getting the message of Jesus out there.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Your website, it, even before social, even before Facebook, it's your most important marketing tool, just and, and outreach tool, just based on you know the way that we use the the internet and the way that the the culture is. And what's great about a website is like, you know, it's not like a printout where you make a mistake and it's permanent forever. Mm-hmm. It's not like a billboard that's going to cost thousands of dollars to throw up for 30 days and you only get one shot at the creative, you know? Mm-hmm. It's incredibly easy to do. There are so many great church website builders out there that will allow you to do this even if you have no experience. And you know, we hear we hear te- we hear stories about this all the time, you know? So like I, I, I'm empathetic to those that are listening right now who may be like man this is a lot of this is a lot Brady I, <laughs> I hear stories every single day like there was this church there were 25 people Heidi and they had never had a website <laughs> they put one up it was the most basic website ever they filled out some basic information for Google and then I get this DM through Instagram this direct message from a person who follows me and they're like man we had our first visitors in 7 years come to our church
0: Oh my goodness! And
1: I said, I said, well, what was the difference? He's like, we had a website. They said they found us on the website. He's like, and now my senior leadership finally believes that we can invest more into the website. What's amazing about these strategies is that if you're just willing to invest in them, it's kind of like when you start a new diet. Maybe you're like really skeptical at first, and then like you use a couple, lose a couple pounds. You're like, well, maybe I could do this, and mm-hmm. then you lose a couple more. And it's like, it, it, once you find something that works for you and the snowball effect begins to take place, and you begin to have more confidence and belief that these things can work, that's when you really start to see see great results. And your website is just one of the best places to start with.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, Brady, so website. Number one important marketing tool. We need to allocate resources toward it. Be creative, but not overdone. You've given us some four simple things that we can incorporate let's talk social media. You uh, wrote something on the importance of social media and kind of jokingly called it your manifesto. So talk to us about social media.
1: I said earlier that attention is the most valuable commodity your church can possess. And there's really no place uh, more than social media where attention is being paid. You know, seven Mm -hmm. out of every 10 American adults is on Facebook. The average senior spends more than four hours a week on social. So don't think that this is just a young person thing. But young people do love social. 95% of Gen Z uses YouTube. 50% of Gen Z it's the craziest statistic on social you'll probably ever hear, say they could not live without YouTube. Two out of every three young people want to be a YouTuber or vlogger when they grow up. Like the implications of this, like we're in the middle of it. So we don't really understand. We're gonna, there will be history books written about this time. (laughs) And our great grandkids will understand what happened. It's crazy out there, right? And so the thing about social is that you can't do well on social by only studying theory. You have to be mm-hmm. a practitioner. Like, like I really enjoy working out, and whenever I start like a new routine, you know, it'll be like, okay, now you got to do deadlifts, and I'm like, oh man, there's like, I don't know, this, there's a lot of technique to this, and I can read about mm-hmm. it, read about it, read about it, watch videos and stuff, until I actually get down with the bar and start lifting. Yeah, I can't really understand how it's got to be done, and social Absolutely. is moving so quickly, and it's so new and so fresh all the time, that. You've got to be a practitioner. you just got to dive in. You're going to suck at it. You'll make mistakes, but you've got to stay with it and keep trying. I've been at it for like seven years now professionally, and mm-hmm. and, and I, it feels like second nature now. But even with me, something will come out, and I'll be like, well, that's new. I, I guess i got to figure this out. Here's the thing about social. All it is is storytelling. Hmm. Storytelling is the most powerful form of human communication because whether it's you know, scratches on cave walls or Instagram stories, story always wins. It's one of the only, if not the only form of human communication that actually forces our brains to focus. Here's a good example of that. Not too long ago, uh, my wife, my brother-in-law and I went back to the church that we all grew up in. And our our senior pastor after 20 years or so was, was leaving for another church. And so we wanted to see him off. So we drove the three hours, and we're sitting in the back row of the Sunday service, and my brother-in-law, he's sitting to the left of me. My wife is to the right, and and my brother, he's got his head down, pastor's preaching. He's scrolling through Facebook, and then in the middle of his message, my pastor transitions from doing some exposition of scripture to a story, and he says one line, and all it was was, I I have this friend named Caitlin, and I, because I'm looking for this, notice my brother-in-law immediately and subconsciously to him, look up from his phone Abandon social media and the conglomerate of Facebook, the attention suck that is Facebook, and immediately start listening to our pastor. Why? Because he's teaching through story. And I can guarantee that everyone listening to this podcast just paid more attention to the last 20 (laughs) seconds than to the two minutes prior because I was telling a story. Yeah. Nothing keeps our attention like story. And what's amazing about social is that while the mediums are changing and the aspect ratios and the the type of customs and nuances to the platforms that really will perform well, it's all just storytelling. So if you can Mm -hmm. learn to be a good storyteller, you can future proof yourself for all the changes that will come with social. And that's what's so encouraging to me to think like, people get really discouraged. It's like, man, I, I learned how to use Snapchat and then it disappeared and Instagram took over or oh, Facebook was great until they introduced the new algorithm in 2018 and my organic reach dropped. And if all this sounds foreign to you and it sounds even more complicated, I get it. But the truth is social is just storytelling and mm-hmm. we have the greatest story of all time. The deck is stacked in your favor church. You just need to take the leap And start doing it. And it's like I said, you're not going to be good at it at first. You might not be good at it for a while. Just like you weren't good the first time you ever preached a message. Just like the first time you ever led a worship set. But you got better. You just got to start and become a practitioner.
0: And focus on telling the story. So don't use it as another place to say announcements or promote an event necessarily. Unless you can do it in storytelling fashion. Absolutely. Got it. Super, super helpful. Brady, what else? What else do you think of that you think, I, we really shouldn't leave this podcast without these people knowing this? Assume that you're talking to a wide variety of people, some who are totally nodding their heads at everything you're saying. Like, yes, man, I totally get it. I'm with you and other people who are going, okay, I'm barely not lost. You're speaking a language. I don't know, but I'm I'm willing. I'm willing to try. I think. What do you want to make sure they know?
1: I think it's important to address one of the elephants in the room, and that is the generational divides that exist within our church right now. I had a couple young couple from Miami stop by the office just last week, young couple first couple years in ministry, and they're talking about man, like Brady, we listen to your podcast every day, we watch your videos, we read your articles. And we're trying so hard to implement these techniques and strategies into our church, but there's so much pushback that we come up against from the senior leadership that say, no, no, we've never done this. We do things this way around here. And there's a, there's frustration amongst the young people that are saying, we've got to make changes. And then there's frustration from the older group, the group that's in leadership right now saying, these young kids, they don't know what they're doing. Like They don't know what it takes to actually lead a church, to build a church. They just wanna make all these sweeping changes. They don't understand. And it's so funny because I'm talking to this young couple and I'm thinking, and they could listen to me every day, give them every single tip, technique, strategy. They could know every single thing about digital, social, graphic design, videography, and the rest. But if they weren't able to navigate these leadership and generational divides in their church, it wouldn't matter. And and this is something that I I see very, very often. You know, right now, millennials are the largest uh, living generation in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And by the time the next election comes along, we'll be the largest voting group. And it won't be too long before we're the largest living generation across the board. And, and it's a fascinating time right now. I, like I said, I'm 27, and I'm seeing right now the entire world shift their focus to me as a consumer. And I've lived a quarter century on the earth, and I've never seen this. I saw movies that were nostalgic about a generation or a decade that I wasn't alive for. And I've seen products sold to my parents and people that are a decade older than me that I didn't really resonate with. You know? And now, the movies are being made, they're about my generation. And the products that are being developed are made for me and it's so weird kind of me i'm we're i'm just coming to the age right now for like my 30s and 40s and 50s like everyone's going to be trying to get my attention because i'm going to be the the consumer that everyone wants and and i don't mean to like paint too close of a comparison between like consumerism and and church but the point is is that like millennials we're not like this young group like the oldest millennials are almost 40 and we are at the point where we're about to assume the large role of leadership within churches. And so I think the more empathy that we can have cross-generationally, the better. And I think the more that we can have conversations about what we're actually trying to accomplish. And this is what I said to this young couple. I said, the problem with what you're trying to do is that you're going into someone's home and moving around the furniture without asking them. And they're like, the furniture's always been this way. I don't want the couch over there. This is my home. And I said, when you, because we're now 25, this couple and myself, I said, when we're 50 and 60, we're not going to like it when young people come in and say, you're doing it wrong. Change it. We'll be like, what do you know? We've been doing this for three times as much as you've been alive. But they might have something to say. What's really unique about this time in history because the generational divides isn't anything new. Young people think old people are out of touch and old people think young people are way too entitled and want to move too fast. The difference with millennials is that we're the first generation that grew up as digital natives. And these platforms that every industry is beginning to embrace because every industry is being disrupted by them we're the ones that we're the first generation that really understands them to paint a broad you know paintbrush on that if you're fifty four the average lead pastor, it's highly unlikely that digital platforms are going to come naturally to you so the divide between millennials and boomers is very different, I would suggest than than past generational divides because the skills that young people normally have Heidi is that we know a lot about pop culture and we are young and vibrant. And the skills that older people generally have is that they've been around. They've got the experience. They've made the mistakes. They know what it takes. The difference between millennials and boomers right now is that, sure, young people are up on pop culture, but we also have the skills in the most powerful communication mediums that exist in the world. And I think that's why senior leadership needs to, as much as possible, try to involve younger people, give them a seat at the table and allow them to help navigate this shift because we need each other.
0: And I'm going to say a big whopping amen to that, Brady. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the scripture has given us what we need in order to do that. And that is that if we clothe ourselves in humility, right, and let everybody use their gifts, Because everybody has a different gift. That's why the scripture talks about the entire body of Christ, that we're going to be able to do this. Older people need to go search out our younger people and say, hey, I don't get this, but I know that it's so important. Can you help me? And younger people need to be willing that they don't have the corner on all the wisdom in the world just because they understand current culture better and be able to seek from older people, okay, how does that work? with overall leadership, and what does that mean? If we could do that together, we could navigate this gap and bring the message of Jesus to the world. And like you called us to in the beginning of this podcast, it's really about keeping first things first, right? It's about making sure that the gospel is accessible to people. It's about making sure that the message of Jesus stays preeminent and we use whatever method and means we have to in order to keep that primary, right?
1: It wasn't that long ago, Heidi, that I was a 21-year-old kid um, in Bible college studying to be a student pastor. And it
0: was pretty long ago for me, <laughs> just so you know.
1: <laughs> I'm 27 now. So it was like five years ago, let's say. And I was approached by my church and they asked me to come on staff to be the media director, which meant social, graphic design, web, video. I had no skills at the time. I was studying to be a pastor. I knew very, very little about the world. I was very newly married. And I still am very close with that pastor that hired me. And I'll, and I'll ask him and he'll say, I'll ask him, i say, well, why, why did you hire me? I had no skills. He's like, you're right. You had no skills, but I saw something in you. He's like, you could figure out the skills, but I needed to make sure that you had the chance. And what that leader did is that he empowered me. He championed me. I wouldn't be here without him. It's very likely that the young person that you elicit help from, that you give a seat at the table, is going to make a ton of mistakes and doesn't know a lot. But if you champion and empower them, they're going to have the actual ability to blossom into all that they can be. The thing is, if you're young, like we need an older person to give us a chance usually because the older leadership is the one that is in charge. And so they need to at least give us a chance. And without that chance, without that you know, championing and empowering, you'll never know what your young people can do. It's, it's crazy to think where my life has gone in the last five years. But it all started when they handed me a camera and I said, all right, Google, tell me how to use it.
0: Hmm. That's a great story. Mine's not so dissimilar. I preached my first sermon at 22 as a female mm. because our senior pastor said, I want you to take 10 minutes in the middle of my sermon and talk about this. And I didn't even realize at the moment how incredible it was till afterwards someone said, do you have any idea what just happened? And I was like, what What do you mean? And they go, you're a female and you're in your 20s and he shared the pulpit with you. That's unheard of. Yep. And then that man continued to just call out gifts in my life, uh, which really directed me on the path that I am. So I completely agree with what you're saying, that it's going to be people who hold the positions of leadership, whether it's because of their age or their gender or their financial or social status. They have to be the ones who reach to the other people to say, you have gifts and the kingdom of God needs you. So I'm going to risk the failures because I'm going to believe the reward is so much greater.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we all look back at our lives, we can all like pinpoint that leader or leaders that gave us the chance. And uh, now it's our time to do that for someone else.
0: Absolutely. Brady, this has been super helpful. Uh, very fun to have a conversation with you. It's been challenging. You're asking us to think differently, which is great because we need to do that. And I'm very, very appreciative of your time and of the ministry that you're having in the world right now to help the church uh, navigate these changes in a way that we're not behind the curve too much more. So thank you very much.
1: It was great to be here, Heidi. I hope some of it has been helpful to those that are listening. It's been an honor
0: it has been. And you all who are listening, you can connect with Brady and all the work he's doing at ProChurchTools.com. I found it to be an excellent resource, and I'm certain that you will too. So Brady, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks again.